Hello, sixth grade scholars, and welcome to Detectives in Togas by Henry Winterfeld. Although you aren't wearing togas, you are also detectives for this book, and I want you to take careful notes as we listen to the story together. Be sure to mark down different characters, what they look like, their belongings, and other clues along the way to help you solve the mystery before it's revealed to us at the end of the book. Detectives in Togas by Henry Winterfeld Chapter 1. The Wrong Lantern Musius raised his head in surprise. The entire class had suddenly gone off into gales of laughter, and he did not know why. He had been concentrating on his work and had not noticed what was happening in the classroom. Now he saw that Rufus had left his seat and was standing near the wall behind their teacher, Xantippus. He must have sneaked past the teacher. Quite a trick if you could get away with it. Hanging from a big nail on the wall was a map of the Roman Empire, and on this nail Rufus had hung one of his wax writing tablets. He had scratched on it in big, crooked letters. Caius is a dumbbell. The joke went over big because Caius really was not very bright. Rufus grinned and bowed like an actor on stage. Xantippus, who had been reading, looked up in consternation. Quiet, he said in a voice of thunder. Suddenly, there was silence. Rufus ducked his head in alarm and the others made a show of bending over their work. A while ago, they had been reciting Greek words. Ho Gagoris, the farmer. Ho Lucas, the wolf. Ho Dendron, the tree. Ho Hippas, the horse, and so on. They were then supposed to write the words from memory. So now they went back to their tablets. Musius whispered to Antonius, who sat next to him. What's the matter with Rufus? He's stirring up trouble for himself. Antonius grinned. He's mad at Caius, he whispered back. Caius wouldn't let him study. He kept poking him in the back with a stylus. Musius frowned. He had warned Caius again and again not to bother the others. Musius was the class monitor, and the boys were supposed to mind him. But Caius didn't like minding anybody. Perhaps he thought he didn't have to, because his father was the wealthy senator, Vinicius. Caius was rough and strong, but he was not really mean. He had a weakness for practical jokes. The trouble was he didn't like it a bit when the joke was on him. His face had turned bright red when Rufus hung up the sign. Now, finally, he lost all control of himself. And you're the son of a coward, he bellowed at Rufus. Xantippus looked up again, dumbfounded. I am the son of a coward, he asked, frowning. What do you mean by that? Before Caius could explain, the whole room was in an uproar. Rufus adored his father, and Caius's insulting words had touched a tender spot. His father, Marcus Pretonius, was a famous general, but he had just recently lost an important battle somewhere in Gaul, and Rufus felt deeply humiliated. You're a liar, he shouted, and made a rush at Caius. Caius was knocked backward along with his bench. Grappling, the two boys rolled on the floor while the others jumped up on their benches to get a better view of the fracas. This was as good as any gladiator fight in the arena. Suddenly, Xantippus took command of the situation. He went over to the boys, managed to get between them, and pulled them to their feet. Panting, 
Caius and Rufus glared at one another. Rufus's tunic was ripped at the collar, and Caius's toga had gathered up most of the dirt from the floor. As for Xantippus, he was furious. Musius, he said, breathing heavily from the effort of separating the fighters. What in the world brought on this disgusting conduct? Fighting in school? Disgraceful. Xantippus was a Greek, and his real name was Xanthos. Xantippus was only a nickname the boys had given him because he reminded them of Xantippe, the wife of the famous philosopher Socrates, who was always bad-tempered and nagged her husband. The boys thought their teacher was a terrible nagger. He always insisted on hard work and perfect conduct. Unlike most teachers, however, he never beat the boys. He had other ways of making them respect him. He also had some peculiar ideas, too. For example, he would not allow the slaves who brought the boys to school to stay on during the lessons, as was the custom. Xantippus made the slaves leave and come back for the boys in the evening. Boys could not keep their minds on their studies when there were others around, he said. What was more, Xantippus was in a position to lay down the law in such matters. He was a famous mathematician who had written many books about circles, triangles, diagonals, parallelograms, and such like head-splitting stuff. His school, known as the Xantho School, was one of the finest grammar schools in Rome. Only wealthy patricians could afford to send their sons there. For that reason, Xantippus's classes were generally small. At the present, the school consisted of only seven boys, Musius, Caius, Rufus, Publius, Julius, Flavius, and Antonius. All of them had happened to live fairly close together in a neighborhood of elegant mansions on the Esquiline Hill. Xantippus was still waiting for Musius to account for the fight. What's the matter with you? He snapped. Have you lost your tongue? Musius pulled himself together. I can't say how it happened, he said hesitantly. I was writing the Greek words and wasn't paying attention to much else. Xantippus couldn't very well find fault with Musius for that. We were all doing our work, Antonius rashly offered. Xantippus became suspicious. He bore down on Rufus and said, Show me your list of Greek words immediately. I, I haven't done one, Rufus stammered. Why not? Xantippus demanded icily. I, I was having writer's cramp, Rufus murmured feebly. It was a silly excuse, but the boys thought Rufus was a good sport for not telling on Caius. He could have said that Caius's pestering had kept him from writing. Indeed, writer's cramp, Xantippus repeated with evident disbelief. He turned to Caius. And what about you? he asked. Me? Caius pretended amazement. Yes, you. You think I mean Romulus and Ramus? Where is your word list? I have none, Caius mumbled, shrugging. Why not? I just couldn't remember any of them, Caius sighed. He seemed almost offended that Xantippus should expect him to remember. I'll teach you a lesson you'll not forget, Xantippus snorted. Fighting in class instead of attending to your work? Which one of you started it? Caius and Rufus did not reply. Aha, Xantippus said, so you want to be heroes, eh? You force me to take severe measures. He pointed his forefinger like a drawn dagger at Rufus and asked slyly, Well, 
What were you doing at the wall behind my back? Speak, Rufus Marcus Praetonius. Still, Rufus did not answer. He merely gawked at his teacher. Xantippus whirled around and scanned the wall. He caught sight of the writing tablet on which was scribbled, Caius is a dumbbell, and exploded. Ha! Huh, so that is what you were up to. I thought you had writer's cramp. You just wait, my boy. I see you don't know me. You've been fooling around instead of working. You've raised a rumpus in the classroom, and on top of it, top of it all, you've lied to me. Pack your things at once and go. The Xantho school is no wrestling ring for undisciplined young Romans. Tomorrow I will see your mother and ask her to withdraw you from the school. I'll return the money she has paid for your tuition. You are not worth all your parents are spending on you. After this outburst, he ordered the others to return to their seats and get to work. But he had not forgotten Caius. And as for you... Tomorrow, you will bring in the whole assignment with every word in the list written ten times in your best handwriting, he snapped, and woe betide you if I find a single mistake. Without another word, Xantippus returned to his desk where he became absorbed in his book. He did not dine to look at Rufus. Caius sat down, flushed with anger. But Rufus stood, petrified, staring in horror at the teacher. The other stole glances at him. Rufus had always been particularly proud of being a student at the famous Santos School. His parents placed great hopes in him. The high tuition fee was a real burden for them, for his father was far from rich. It took a great deal of money to equip his legions. Suddenly, Rufus ran up to the teacher's desk and cried out imploringly, Please don't go to my mother tomorrow. Punish me some other way, but not that. Xantippus waved him irritably aside. Your repentance comes too late, he grumbled. He did not even look up from his book. Behind the outstretched roll of papyrus, only his tousled gray hair and pointed beard could be seen. Slowly, Rufus walked back to his bench and gathered up his school equipment, which had fallen to the floor during his fight with Caius. During the brawl, Musius's lantern had also fallen to the floor, and he had forgotten to pick it up. It was a handsome bronze lantern with his name, Musius Marius Domitius, engraved on it. Rufus packed it up with the rest of his things, not realizing his own lantern had rolled underneath the bench. Musius noticed the mistake, but he did not want to trouble Rufus about it now. After he had finished packing up, Rufus slowly put on his mantle. It was a homespun woolen cloak, somewhat too short for him. The mantle had a long tear on the left shoulder, which had neatly been darned with darker wool. Rufus gave one last pleading look at Xantippus, who refused to take further notice of him. Then he unhappily stepped out into the street. The Xanthos School was located on Broad Street, a bustling, busy avenue by day. Nearby was the crowded Roman Forum, with its orator's platform and its many public buildings, temples, and monuments. The Forum was famous throughout the world. Everyone thought of it as the heart of the Roman Empire. Because Broad Street was an elegant business street, Xantippus had considered it a desirable location for his school. He had rented a small house for that purpose. The schoolroom was on the ground floor and open for its entire width on the street side so that the boys were practically on public display. 
but they had long ago become accustomed to that, and passer-by paid little attention to them. The sight of pupils at their studies was quite familiar. Many low-cost schools, in fact, were held in public arcades. The Xanthos School was not exactly popular in the neighborhood. Lessons began before sunrise, and the voices of the boys at their recitations woke people from their sleep. But there was nothing to be done about that. After all, the boys were not attending school for their own pleasure, but in order to become educated men and fine citizens. Rufus started down Broad Street toward the Forum, but he paused at the first corner and then took a seat on the wine barrel which was chained to the wall in front of a tavern. Musius, from his bench in school, could see Rufus plainly and wondered why was he sitting there so long. Had he already forgotten his troubles? He seemed to be showing a lively interest in the throng on the street. The sun had set behind the Janiculus Hill, and it was growing dark. A few stars could already be seen in the cloudless sky. Broad Street was jammed with people, most of whom had came from nearby baths on the field of Mars. Their sandals slapped against the stone pavement. Scraps of conversation and laughter could now and then be distinguished from the hum of voices. Beggars crouching by the curb pleaded with passerbys for alms. A few street peddlers shouted themselves hoarse trying to dispose of their wares before dark. Hot sausages, figs dipped in honey, olives, fruitcakes, and other tidbits at bargain prices. A detachment of the Praetorian Guard, wearing chest armor and shouldering bamboo lances, marched past in military order, led by a young officer with a sword and plumed helmet. Right behind them came a large farm wagon drawn by two sturdy mules. It was piled high with produce. Its clumsy wheels made a deafening racket on the rough pavement. The wagon stopped just in front of the school, for approaching it from the other direction came a sedan chair carried by eight slaves in magnificent livery. The street was blocked, and suddenly a crowd gathered. The runner, who was clearing the way for the sedan chair, struck out rudely with his stick, shouting, "'Make room for His Excellency! Make room for His Excellency!' The crowd drew back, and the farmer drove his wagon halfway up onto the narrow sidewalk in order to give the sedan chair room to pass. Inside the chair sat a fat, bald-headed man wearing a senator's toga with two red bands. He was reading a book and fanning himself with an oriental fan. Apparently, he was a very high dignitary, for he had an unusually large following of slaves and admirers. The people on the street called out loud greetings to him, and some even rushed up to kiss his hands. Others cracked jokes that called forth roars of laughter. When the fat man looked up, Musius recognized him by the large scar that ran diagonally across his bald pate. He was ex-counsel Tellus. Many years ago, he had been a top-ranking general. Now he was supposed to be living in luxurious retirement on the millions he had made out of the booty of his successful campaigns. As the slaves trotted on with the sedan chair, Tellus waved his fan graciously at the crowd. Then he disappeared from Musius's sight. The farm wagon started up again and lumbered off toward the forum. Lucky that heavy wagons aren't allowed into the city by day, Musius thought. With the streets so narrow, they would be bottling up traffic all the time. Now there was really nothing left to see. The bustle on the street was beginning to quiet down, 
Only a few stragglers hastened by, obviously intending to get home as quickly as possible before nightfall. The beggars and peddlers had disappeared. Two night watchmen with long staves over their shoulders came into sight across the street. They sauntered from shop to shop, making sure that the shutters in front of each were well locked. Rufus was still sitting on the wine barrel, staring into space. Perhaps he was waiting for school to let out, when the slaves would come along to take the boys home. They were due any moment now. But suddenly he sprang to his feet, sped across the street, and disappeared around a corner into a side street that led past the field of Mars to the big bridge across the Tiber. Musius, watching, thought this odd behavior. If Rufus intended to go home, he would have to cross the Forum, but he was heading in the opposite direction. It was already late, the first hour of night had begun, and nobody liked walking through the totally dark streets alone at night. I suppose he just means to go by a roundabout way, Musius said to himself. He certainly won't be in a hurry to see his mother tonight. This seemed as good an explanation as any, and Musius at last applied himself to the dull list of Greek words. Within a few minutes, all thought of Rufus was gone from his mind. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of chapter one. I would like you to take a minute or two and reflect on what you listened to. Was there anything in this first chapter that reminded you of our own St. Regis Academy? St. Regis Academy is a classical school, which means it's actually based off of some of the ancient Roman practices for teaching because they're so effective they've continued on for 2,000-some years. I would like you to post in our Google Classroom the things that you noticed our school has in common with the Xanthos School.